Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. We are back for another episode of Book Club. Today, Tiger Woods is the US Masters Champion, Pricey. Do you know I didn't watch it actually? No. And I used to I like watching a bit of golf, but I didn't I didn't watch it now. I watched the Chinese Grand Prix. I watched the uh, Rome Formula E Grand Prix. And I couldn't quite fit Tiger Woods' victory in. Whilst at some point still maintaining a family. I'm not bothered about that. They'll just they'll just you know follow me anywhere. I'm like a leader and they're <laughs> to like the end of the earth. To the they'll follow you to the end of the earth. Correct. So we're on the collaborative sale. Episode two, or, well, episode God knows what number we're on here now of Book Club. Um, but we are on the collaborative sale. We're on our second session on the collaborative sale. Chapters four, five and six today. Correct. How have you been getting on? Um, I thought chapter four is the best chapter out of any of the books I've ever read. Ooh, really? I, I, but when I reflected on that, I think a lot of it, is about this is about the micro marketeer persona. I think a lot of it is because I know so little about marketing. So quite often I read the sales books and I think, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I disagree with that. Whereas actually this one I thought, okay, you're telling me some stuff that I didn't know. Now actually, had I been a time honoured market marketing director and read it, what would I think? Well I don't know. But for me, standard Joe Punter reading that book, I thought it was a cracking chapter. Let's begin. Okay. So where we've got to is, let's do a little summary from last week. Well, I'll tell, I tell you where we've got to is we're talking about the fact that there's a different buyer now. And yes. this different buyer is buyer 2.0. And, and, we disc- and they engage with sellers further down their buying journey. Pro- yeah, exactly. Yeah, And what we talked about a bit last week was... Um, Situational fluency, you're going to say. We actually talked a little bit about the extent to which are we actually into buyer 3.0 here, didn't we? Well, you did, but the book doesn't really. Um, yeah. But, but we talked about that a little bit, but that wasn't really the essence of the book, I don't right. think. I think the book, the real key of the book is... this is We've got by, a different buyer now. We've got a different buyer. They're more informed, they're buying a different way. And what chapters one to three were saying is they were saying previously the prospect got their information from the salespeople... Whereas now the prospect can find much more information much more readily and therefore they come to the buying table a lot, lot later. Correct. And therefore I was sort of waiting for our two writers to say, and this then is how you uh, affect them. And in fairness to chapters four, five and six, they do say that. Okay. So we're in chapter four here. And um, it says here, the micro marketer persona enables a seller so he says that there are three key personas basically of the collaborative salesperson and this is the first one the micro marketer persona enables a seller to connect with and converse with early stage buyers demonstrate the credibility value of a personal brand and influence buyers understanding about potential solutions to problems or about potential opportunities for improved results okay so let's talk a, bit, a little bit about this then because about which bit? Micro being a micro marketer. You see, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because actually, and I say this later on about this book is, 
what these guys are talking about is that we as salespeople should uh, think about the fact that in the olden days you could just canvas somebody and that's where your leads came from, whereas now you've got to market to generate some of your interest in your leads. And then so what happened was all the technology companies, rightly, and all the other sales companies, I suspect, rightly said, well, I'll tell you what, let's get somebody who's a, who's a specialist in marketing and somebody who's a specialist in selling, let's split those two parts. Whereas actually what these guys are doing is they're saying, we should do our own micro-marketing, which... We knew, as in... As in individuals. As, as sales professionals... Yes. ...should be not only relying on marketing to create marketing... A little more than one-third of qualified leads, sales leads, pursued by sellers are created by marketing. It's obviously right. Well, it's interesting. I was talking to a candidate the other day about a role that we're working on, and the point the client made was... He was saying that... Uh, one particular person that had worked for him was brilliant at creating what he'd called micro value propositions or mini value propositions of solutions that he could pitch to clients in specific scenarios. And yeah. I think that's what the point the client's making here is it's that little focus point. Now, for me, my issue with this is how many good micro marketers are you meeting day to day? Where you, you know, you and I spend a lot of time examining a candidate. And often my fa- my favourite part of the game is really often talking through deal stories and really getting into competencies with the candidate. I don't meet many that do this. Depends what level you talk. Depends what level you're talking about. Because actually, I think if somebody's on 100k basic, they're doing micro marketing. If I, somebody's on 50k basic, they're not. By and large, there's always going to be an exception to the rule naturally. But I think that's the case. I always used to deal with this company over in the northwest called Daytel. <clears throat> I don't deal with them anymore. The man won't return my call for whatever reason. Maybe he's listening to the show. Maybe he will after this. And what I always used to say about that company was they didn't pay the most in their market. They paid the least, actually. But their marketing department was absolutely superb. And at every sale, the promise to every salesperson was, come and work here. You'll wake up on a Monday with a diary full of appointments. Correct. And all you've got to do is go to your appointments, demo your software and come back home. And the candidates used to say, well, I want a bigger basic. I say, that's fine. I'll send you somewhere else where you've got to do your own marketing. And generate your own appointments. Correct. So that's the transfer, isn't it? Yes. And I think at 100k basic level, the guys are mar- micro-marketeers. I think at 50k... I don't think they are. I think the expectation is that they might be, but I don't meet many where I look at them and think, th- this right. guy's a cute micro I, I think if we took uh, straw poll, five-bar gate, whatever, and said, where do most, mo- most salespeople who have micro-marketing capability live? Is it in the 100k? Is it in the... 90 to 110k bracket or the 40 to 50k bracket, there's more well, in the top it, bracket than the low one. Yes, it's more, it should be more in the top I bracket. I think it is. I think it is. I think it is. I, I, I mean, you sort of half hit on something I was going to talk about actually, which is the. Go on, actually, you're going to say something. Yeah. For, you see, for me with this micro marketeer thing, I just think it's usually incredibly badly executed by most of the people I meet. Without a doubt. That's a 100% and true. It, and, and what. Well, I how th- bad I am I at marketing? Well, but you're not. You're sat here making book club with me now. Yeah, but it's your but it's your idea, not mine. Well, that's very. If you hadn't kind suggested, you. if you hadn't suggested it, I wouldn't be doing it, would I? Maybe you're smart enough to be here, though. Yeah, but that's, but you get my point. So right. actually, most salespeople sat on their own. They're Aren't just thinking they, of it. No, they're just not going to do it. They're bad. Well, what I find is a lot of people confuse this part of the sale. They, they, I think a lot of a lot of salespeople are confused with this buying persona. They they think. And you and I see it, and I know this is a pet peeve for you, and you're going to agree with me. <laughs> Do you Good. see how I did that? Um, is the 
confusing lurking on LinkedIn, liking everybody's posts, or... Oh, I agree. The, you know, there's one fella I see a lot, and I'll, I'll talk about him later, where they're lurking on LinkedIn and they're, they're, they've got a sales nav account and they're confusing, oh, well, if I like every post that my prospect list posts, that's going to be enough and that's okay. Yeah, well... And what they're missing is the sort of more... Mar- or worse still, my other pet peeve as a micro-marketer is marketing have created some content and I've spun it out on my stream or my Twitter stream and I'm going to expect that to do something for I, me. I tell you what really amazes me sometimes, that I say on LinkedIn, is somebody will create this beautiful post and it gets, you know, one like. And what I think to myself is you... I mean, let's be clear, I don't know how to do it. But I, I look at it and think, you spent so long doing that. Yeah. And actually, it's got one like. Would you have been better? Would no you have effective. been better off? They'd have been better off banging the phone. Would you have been better off cold calling or ripping a company to shreds via company's house and writing a personalised so, letter to the CEO? So, but in fairness to this book, I think you're, I think you're going to knock it a little bit, actually, this page. I, it does talk about micro-marketing. And actually, as you know, Jonathan, I write down action points from the book. And actually, I wrote down a lot of action points from this, and I thought to myself, I'm actually going to do it. Don't know, but I'm definitely going to think about doing it. I'm Good. definitely going to look into it. And Absolutely. I think, and, and, and this this book club thing is about, if I'm a sales rep, should I read the book? Ooh, should yes. I read that? I just thought it was dynamite, that. Yeah, I think so too, actually. And I think my, my, I'm criticising because I see so few people do it. But you if, can't criticise the book. If no. people did this... I'm, so I'm not criticising the book at all. I'm pointing out that I, I seldom see people you, really... Because you go on, if you go on to page 67, they've got one of my favourite diagrams, a Venn diagram, which I use a lot <laughs> with my clients, as you know. He talks a little bit about topic-specific interest groups, such as those found on LinkedIn. Does anyone use LinkedIn groups anymore? Uh, I, I don't. I don't. I use a Facebook group. I go on the this Elite This probably written a few years ago, though. Yeah. I, I wonder how that's... Whether that's moved on a little, if, if there's a, a, a 2019 equivalent of LinkedIn groups. I just no don't idea. think... If I go on most of the LinkedIn groups I go on now, they're very noisy, crowded I never places. go on them. I'm unsubscribed from them. Yeah. I'm on a, a couple of Amazon FBA groups to help my wife out for her FBA business <laughs> on Facebook, which are very good, actually. Yes, I find some of the Facebook they're groups... They're very, very, very good. Uh, that I, I go on the Elite Lead Rhino Supporters Group. That, that's where I spend all my Facebook time. But it's interesting, you go on a group from a social perspective, not a business perspective. No, I don't. Uh, Ableton Live Users Group, Elite Leads Rhinos Group. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then he talks here about, you must know that a micro-marketer must know how to engage effectively in online social discussions. What page are you on? 62. Oh, you still on that same yeah, page? Yeah, you yeah. underlined a lot of that, haven't you? Uh, I think it's all in, there's there's a lot to talk about in this chapter. Yeah, yeah, there is. I mean, but but your point, I know what your point's going to be there. Your point is going to be that people don't know how to engage properly on LinkedIn. No. And there's so much of that. Loads of it. Do you know the madness? And of it's it easy is? for me and you to be pompous about it because we've worked incredibly diligently to get good at it. I I, I haven't. You and Lauren have. Yeah, all that's right. A, that's the truth but of that. As a although, team, we although have. Although I know what really, I think, well, I don't know, I think it must frustrate Lauren that Lauren <laughs> does good posts, then all of a sudden I'll be sat on a train just to have a wine and it gets 10,000 <laughs> views. And it gets loads of likes, yeah. But that's a lot of that is about understanding the LinkedIn algorithm, as we know from mm-hmm. Oleg Vishnopolsky in his 
And his Who's crew. the other one? Uh, the Bridget lady. Hyacinth. <laughs> and the other one that actually, oh, genuinely, I, I think literally, should be shot. I've had to block her, Bridget Hyacinth. I can't yeah. get out of the stream. It's ridiculous. Uh, the other one I, I've actually blocked subsequently is Brains Over Breasts or whatever her name is. I've never seen that one. I might have to join it. Where, ironically, she's always wearing something skimpy and low cut. She sounds good. Yeah. I can't even remember her name. And it's sort of all empowerment, bloody blah, but it's just utter shit frankly. Um, the most important competency for the micro-marketer is situational fluency. Now, I think this is very relevant for us as a recruiter. I think it's very relevant, full stop, yeah. Yeah, I think it has real power for us as recruiters. It, it, if if we were to use this book as our working paradigm, and I wrote down here, what our author is saying is, you know, often we speak to candidates and um, and often we say to clients, look, you're obsessed with hiring somebody from your market. Mm. And why are clients obsessed with hiring somebody from their market is because they are looking for situational fluency, aren't they? They don't know that. No, they don't. They're not using the phrase situational they fluency. Don't, they don't know they're looking for that. They're just thinking, oh, it means they don't have to train him. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I know a fella who he's gone from uh, one very big healthcare enterprise software vendor to another very big healthcare enterprise software vendor. And he's gone that to that one for this year. And next year he'll go to a new one. Now he gets jobs because he's good looking and charming and he's likable. But actually, if you really drilled into his numbers, he can't sell his way out of a paper bag, this lad. But he does have situational fluency. You see, you see. Or does he? Is he situationally he fluent? Because surely if he was that situationally fluent, he wouldn't he be having a job be, here every exactly. year. Exactly. That's my point. It's, it's not like he's saying relevant things, is it? Because if he's saying relevant things, he might actually sell something now and then. Or is it that actually he's not that situationally fluent, but his CV looks situationally fluent? not even that, I don't think. I think it's the clients go, yeah, I've got to have something that knows healthcare. Oh, Christ, he's been doing... He's had 10 jobs in the last 10 years in healthcare. He must be all right. That's the point, is it? The client doesn't really understand why somebody's got to know healthcare. No, but it's actually what, what our author here is saying is, actually, it's that situational fluency that will enable him to see see the angle of the, of attack, for want of a better word, isn't it? That's what our author thinks. I, d I think we're into a real, you know, splitting hairs on the definition, actually. I don't agree with the author in that case. Because, and, and I'm... I I'm, think you're I'm, better off employing an intelligent person. Or, a, well, I think a lot of clients opt for what we're talking about here is situational fluency, but actually they'd be better off just hiring a good bloody salesman. They'd be, they'd be better off hiring an intelligent person. Yeah, a bright quality salesman. You know, what, which is the better way to be? We're slightly off tangent. Is it about being situationally fluent or is it about politely being able to ask the question why? Yeah. Um, anyway, then we get into listening and monitoring and, and using all these different things, Google alerts, Twitter search and social mention. I was actually going to go through, you know, when I was reading this yesterday, I actually made a note to get my Mac and go through the LinkedIn stream and look at some personal branding. For who? Just generally today do like a little critique on how many people are actually micro-marketers and how much micro-marketing is really getting done. Oh, you'd the, be desperately but, disappointed. Uh, yeah, I, I, think so. I think so. But there are good micro-marketers out there. I think they're accidental, a lot of them. Well, I think there's a tipping point as a micro-marketer. I think since this book was written, the micro-marketing landscape has become brutally noisy as you and i both know mm. 
So to cut through the noise, the quality of your micro-marketing, A, has to be incisive, and B, it has to have quality content. So for example, sticking your phone on the dashboard of your car and ranting at it with the microphone pointing into the velour of your of your of your uh, what's the word i'm looking for dashboard uh with bad audio no captions shaky video don't want don't be surprised when you get two likes and no shares mm. and it doesn't engage whereas actually i think when this book was written you could do that and you were a micro marketer very fair point i agree with you whereas now i think there's another notch up you know, he talks about listening and monitoring, which is great. Subscribe to re- regular RSS feeds, great, bang on. You know, you can get an awful lot out of I that. I put a lot of that in, yeah. You know, yeah. How, how many times have you heard me say to to young colleagues, what are you reading, what are you reading, what have you got coming through on the internet? I agree. Um, so really liked it. And then what do you make of this bit then, network and participate? Have you ever had a warm intro via that whole LinkedIn thing? No. You occasionally get like a referral, don't you? Mm. We, we get referrals, but the, the odd one, not the very whole good. purpose be, with which LinkedIn was built, where where I'm connected to you and I come to you and say, "Can you introduce me to so and so?" It's not quite worked. Oh, out that, that LinkedIn's way. not been like that for five years. But I think this network and participate thing is an interesting one because it's about getting your your face in front of that prospect in some way, isn't it? Yes. That's what, what it's about. Participating in the discussion and adding value. Yes, and, 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 and it's marketing in its truest sense, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Now, what do you make about this bit about people building their own personal brands? I'll tell you what, I, was, <clears throat> I'll tell you what I think about it before, I, before you answer is, I think that what these guys are talking about is having individuals with their own brands and their own marketing presence. There's I don't always, think that's what Oracle want to do. Correct. I couldn't agree more because there is always going to be... Oracle will say, yeah, we encourage our people to become micro-marketeers. We encourage our people to build and develop their personal brands. But if I'm the, if I'm the marketing director of Oracle... I'm thinking, why do I want to put all the power in their hands? And for, well, it's not even and, so much the power. And what are they actually going to say that's in line with our group marketing strategy? Correct. Are you on... As Gary Vaynerchuk would say, are you on brand i think this so suits. there there are some people that i was talking to a guy the other day who is doing some uh, there is a guy actually at oracle who is actually a listener of the show and he uh does a lot of micro marketing that is actually on brand and he has worked with oracle's marketing team he uses Oracle logos in his well, video. Well, that well, well, you, you now you're talking. But how many yeah. people are actually going to do that? He's been really proactive and really aggressive, and he's on brand, and he's clearly found himself an ally in marketing that's given him the style sheet, mm. given him some logo stuff. He's developed enough trust that they're allowing him to publish his own content. Brilliant. Well, there's not many going to do that in the big corporate entity. No. And actually, how many of the big corporate entities want to do that? Because call they me. They don't because they don't want people bastardising their own brand. Yes, and actually, they also, I don't think, want uh, the big brands anyway. Want to put the power in the hands of the people. I think they because that brand, that identity, is part of the value of their business. Correct. What's it's the part customer? of their value? Correct. The cus- Well, the the point is, and I think there's always should a, the customer be tied to the salesperson or the brand. 
it should be signed to the brand. So if the salesperson leaves, it doesn't hurt us. Correct. Now nobody you, dare say that. If you rang up, if you rang up the Microsoft, Oracle, Dell, HP, yeah, if you were correct and said, "Do you want the sale?" They would say, "Listen." Someone would say, "Listen, I don't give a monkey as long as the numbers are coming in, and then it's up to us to give give the guy enough rewards that he stays with us. And if he's a personal brand builder, so be it." Some would say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa no, the brand is ours." So if it's that person brand. leaves, it doesn't dent our pipeline. I concur. So I think that was a big part of it. But I tell you what, though, Jonathan. If you were like a Rialta in the States, or if you were an, an IFA in England, personal branding which is like is a self-employed it. job, uh, you, you, I mean, 100% and I right think so, And I think some smart, you know, he does mention in this chapter, he does actually give a nod to Gary Vaynerchuk. I know, yes. I thought you'd be happy with that. And I think it, it, if you were smart and you went out and read Gary V and you were cute about it, you could be a good micromarketer in a, in a large enterprise environment. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. I don't know enough about Gary Vee, but I just think that if you're going to be a micro-marketer in a large brand environment, that's a very difficult thing to do, I think. Yeah, also, he himself mentions that rising tides raise all boats. Earlier on in the book, he makes a point about rising tides raise all boats. Yes, yeah, yeah, I remember what you're saying now, yeah. In a world where the rising tide does raise all boats, a lot of people therefore don't need to be micro-marketers because the tide is rising. So if you operate in, for example, business intelligence or analytics and you work at Tableau, do you really need to worry that much about your micro-marketing? No, because you, you, you're going to get loads of leads anyway. Very and true. And because you're going to get invited to loads of parties anyway, and Tableau are a market leader anyway. Mm, very true. And, but that is the point he makes in the book mm, mm. about with the little um, allegory about the guy, whatever his name is, Joe. Joe. I really like the Joe story. It I want more every, Joe story. It continues at the end of every chapter. I think it's, I think it's great. <laughs> I that. sort of get pleased when I get Joe back and to Nancy. The Joe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it, in an environment where the rising tide raises all boats, you don't need to be a micro-marketer. And, and in a lot of the environments you and I touch, security, analytics, as examples, the right, it, it's a rising tide. Mm-mm. And yeah, therefore, definitely. we don't see a lot of that good micro-marketing. But interesting stuff, and he's so right about it. He is, yeah, very much so. Okay. So, so then he goes, shows us a couple of screenshots of uh, social marketing tools. I thought the way that the LinkedIn algorithm was working now, they count against you if you're using those. Um, what, things like Hootsuite? Yeah, yeah, that's not it, Hootsuite, it can, but it's something very similar. Yeah, the, the content... Social port. What we found, found listeners, is um, if you are posting content per se, if you're posting text-based content, you won't get punished for publishing it via something like Hootsuite. If you're publishing video content, um, and Lauren will tell us all about this if necessary, statistically, the difference in the amount of views you'd get linking out of LinkedIn, for example, mm. to YouTube versus natively posting inside the LinkedIn feed at a specific time of day, um, the algorithm just kicks the living daylights out of you. Fair enough. I knew you were going to explain yeah. it, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then... There's a little point here, page 79. During the last company meeting, whatever her name is, Nellie, is it? Or Nancy. Nancy. During the last company meeting, she brought in a photographer so everyone would have a professional headshot and then provided a best practice document for using the site. Professional headshots. Separate topic, that, Jonathan. It's, well, actually, I had coffee with, a, with, with uh, a candidate of ours the other day 
And uh, we were talking about it over a cup of coffee just down at Labatega Milanese in town. And, and he said, you're ranting now. And I went, am I? He said, yeah, do you realise you've ranted for about two minutes on this topic? And he and I went, I didn't. And he went, you need to do a pint with JG about it. So I have decided that my next pint with JG is going to be a brutal analysis of some LinkedIn profiles. Is it? Yeah, it's going to be fun. How are you going to grade your own photo? <laughs> with, with my no hair. So then the chapter five, the visualizer persona. Right. What did I write about this one? So we've moved on now from being a micromarketer because there are these three key personas. And the next one is a visualizer. Do I put about this, actually, and then we'll go into the book. I, put, I went off this chapter towards the end. Because? Because I think it's very dangerous dealing with people who don't have a defined need. He's talking a lot about uh, creating need. Yes. And I'm thinking to myself, so I mean, we'll go into the book in a bit more detail, but I, I just thought to myself, that's great, but you're pouring an awful lot of time into people that don't have needs here. And your biggest objection is going to be no sale. They're just going to do nothing. And I think that's very dangerous. He gives his example about the man selling oxygen or whatever yes, he's selling. Yes, he does. And actually... He'd what, calculated the amount of oxygen currently used by the hospital based on his questions and observations. And what... Uh, so to bring the, the listeners up to date, so he's talking about visualisers and basically he gives an example of this fellow that sells commercial gas. They go out with the, uh, the guy that sells to hospitals, good. They go out with the guy that sells to hospitals and they say, how do you do it so much? So the guy that sells to hospitals takes a picture of the gas, then he looks at the surrounding area and says, you've got a chemical plant... Um, if you have a big accident, um, you know, you're going to need more gas than that. And guess what? The hospital then buys it. What at no point does this guy say is, um, well, I work a, for a hospital and everything's quite tightly uh, put together from a budgeting perspective. They just found budget for him. Yes, somewhat expediently. Very expediently. And then as we go through the book, I'm sure Jonathan will, as always, go through it in more detail than me but it shows this spectrum and where people sit on the spectrum. And it sort of says, listen, you've got to get into people that aren't looking early doors so, and then turn them into people that are looking. Now, I've got to tell you, Jonathan, if I had a salesperson that worked for me and I said, what are you doing today? And he went, well, I'm working on putting loads of stuff together for people that, aren't, that don't have a budget. I say, right, you are now going mad. Yeah, okay. And I lost it because of that. But I do think in the perfect utopian environment that they describe it in it's perfect well let's start with the bit that's bang right buyer 2.0 has little patience with sellers who do not bring insightful perspectives about how to solve problems and create value. 100 right bang right starting with the very first online interaction telephone discussion or face-to-face -face meeting sellers who cannot bring new points of view are eliminated quickly from further consideration and, and i agree you know we're in the process of buying um some technology for the business right now and I, I i had what three different product demos i think last week and meetings with various salespeople. and what is interesting is if you go through your own experience as a buyer how frustrating it is when nobody is really trying when, when all they're really doing is feature and benefit bashing mm -mm. and you're a bit you know there was one demo last week where the guy started the demo and it was literally like a case study out of this book and he's done this he's pulled up this presentation and it had 20 slides in it and i being the slightly impatient person that some people will know i'm capable of being said listen fella here's what's going to happen now you're going to put the presentation away and this is what you're going to show me but I was vexed with him. God bless him. His product was that good. He got away with it. 
but <sighs> didn't want that because he wasn't bringing any insight. He didn't. He hadn't thought about the recruitment. So industry. he wasn't a visualizer who was he creating no, compelling vision of the he'd future. He'd not thought. He'd not sat there and thought, "Hmm, this product, right? Why would a recruitment company want to buy that?" Mm. It not crossed his mind. Why would somebody in recruitment use that? Well, there's an interesting one about situational fluency, which is one of our favourite ones, or one of my favourite things. Yeah. Uh, which I'm going back a long way now, but I remember it. And basically it was talking about, essentially, using a past experience and bringing that to somebody else. So I, I was talking to a client a while ago about a draw. Yeah. A and draw he, as in a recoverable draw. Yeah, a recoverable or, draw, yeah. Or one way you're putting Because he's getting nailed in terms of... Um, his competitors are paying a little bit more, but he knows that his salespeople will earn more with him. Yeah. And I said, have you ever thought of, thought of doing a draw? And he said, oh, that's a good idea. Three months after that, he rang in. Because you've given him something, you've added value to the conversation. I was a visualiser, wasn't I? I was saying, here's your problem, your salespeople leave. This is what other people have done in your situation that's helped them. Yeah, I think that he's making a point that's a bit further on than that. Oh, he is, yeah, but I was using that as an example. Yeah, so what he's really saying is, actually, it goes back to the whole point about people not buying buying a, a drill bit, not buying the whole, not buying the shelf. They're buying they're buying the bit after. And I think the point is, it's it, it, it's that persona of somebody who can look at the client situation. In Miller-Hyman parlance, it's the wins and the results. Yes, yes, I but agree. But it's, it's the win that they get from the win that they get from the win that they get. Mm-hmm. And, and the people who can see those wins and visualise it. But again, a lot of that, as he as he points out later, is down to that situational fluency in a way. Um, he won because he was willing to do research, identify a problem the buyers didn't know existed, and enable them to see their will free from the risk of a potentially difficult situation. Great, he's been a visualiser. But you're right, it does sort of allude to creating... Here you go, it's in this little latent state... It's on the it, page 93, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, he talks about latent, admitted vision and evaluation state. Um, and what's bothered you is, I've written here, really? <laughs> it's bothered me is, they, they, they are not looking, either they don't have a need. And this the book talks about buyer 2.0 yeah, being so risk averse. He, he actually says you're more likely to win with a client in a latent state. And he talks about the buyer 2.0 being risk averse, so I don't get that. So if you're risk averse... The risk of change is bigger is, is often well, bigger than the risk of doing nothing. I think we'll get. I think that's going to be an interesting one for for really getting some clarification on when Timothy comes on the show. Yes, I think it is. Yeah, um, and then we get into planning, admitted vision, and evaluation state, enhancing enhancing the visualizer persona, and then again we talk about at the back end of the chapter and the, the sort of great finish off about the story. I love the allegory in the book about John and Nancy and how she helps him out and, and coaches him a bit. And what he's talking about as a visualizer is situational knowledge, capability, communication skill, sales conversation skill. And to be fair, he does allude to this point here. So, you know, he fights back with it a bit. Opportunity qualification, competitive skill, relationship building skill, customer focus. And they're good. You know, I'll tell you what, if you're a customer, if you're one of our clients and you couldn't be bothered to ring us and ask us for help to break down what competencies you you're actually they're a good starting point they're a good start if you were Pro- to, problem if you is were not really the clients will know how to interview against those no particularly i think particularly around sales conversation skill and also a lot of our clients are nervous about interviewing around those yeah absolutely. because those competencies require exploration of skill 
and that level of exploration of skill requires role play and actual actual bring me some examples of mm. you know micro marketer okay here's what we're going to do i'm going to bring you back for a second interview i want you to bring me some examples of micro marketing that you've done in the past to talk through with us during the meeting don't ask anybody to do that jonathan we'll never get another placement no <laughs> we'd be potless we'd be potless yeah absolutely absolutely and then we're on to chapter six the value driver persona now i like this i'll tell you he's a very good value driver Who? my missus in fact, she actually won a competition at her last job. Is that why you won your big telly? <laughs> no, it was a, she got a different prize for that. She won a competition at her last job for how she creates return on investment arguments with clients. And she has this really mental spreadsheet where, and this process where she takes the client over like this workshop through analysing their processes and demonstrates... How much money, cool. and demonstrates how much money they're leaking by doing it how they do it currently and how much money they could be making by doing it how it could be done in an alternative methodology um like she, it. she got a prize for that it was really what good. did you make of their daily mersk example i thought the daily mersk example was a really good example actually that's a really bad one all they did was just improve the service no but what they did was they re framed and repositioned a very difficult to differentiate product they did but actually come on what they actually did was just was they just did yeah, more it doesn't get more to more me too than shipping containers does it oh, so I, just I, explain I, to the just explain to because we've got our listeners so, so sat in their cars on the m1 so basically they're using mersk i don't know you sell it mersk m-a-e-r-s-k the um Danish shipping company. They don't recruit IT salespeople, so we don't know about them. Exactly, never heard of them. <laughs> but anyway, they're, they're, a, they're a container shipping company. They're massive and all the rest of it. And what they're saying here is, and I'm going to knock this actually, so Jonathan's going to need to stand up for them a little bit. But I didn't realise this until I read it. Um, um, evidently in shipping, there's a 50% chance your goods are going to arrive on time. And that's just accepted. That's I, right. I didn't know that. I didn't know that, 50% chance. I'd be really pissed as well if mine don't arrive late. Um, so what Maersk did was they just increased theirs to 95% and then people bought it. No, it's not. But that is what they did. It's not because they changed the rules of the game. No, they didn't. They, they upped their delivery and then they advertised it. No, they didn't. What they did was, and the point he's making in the book is, is that actually 50... Uh, uh, the point he's making in the book is late deliveries are the accepted industry norm. They are, yeah. Which therefore created a price-led race to the bottom. Brutal price-led race to the bottom. Because actually it's just the norm, isn't it? Oh, yeah. The service is rubbish for everybody on two. Service is shit from all of you. So uh, what, what, get, you, get your pencil out, son. What's your best price? Mesk is sat there saying, well, Christ, we're in a race to the bottom here. And at some point, we're not gonna be able to, nobody's going to be able to deliver a service to anybody. Mm. So they've gone out and said, okay, how do we do this? Well, how do we make this about service? And they've said, let's make it about service. Let's start delivering on time. Then we can charge a bloody premium. So they have up their delivery. Yes, but they've found, they've said, how do we get back to making profitability? Yeah, okay. I mean, we're arguing over the same point. I didn't think that was a very good example from them. But anyway, we're talking about the value drive and the value driver this is persona. The value driving in terms and what of he's talking person. about in the value driver persona is think it is it's a mindset isn't it 
Yes. It's about thinking about where can I demonstrate ROI? And he actually talks about technology like Shark Finesse. It does, yeah, ROI yeah. ROI Builder. Yeah, yeah. Um, th these are all technologies, you know, it's like my missus has got that spreadsheet that she's created over a period of time that's really clever with all sorts of macros and nonsense in it. You know, we've got a cost of hiring calculator, haven't we, have, we on the website? Do you, know, do you know what's interesting is, and I'm not saying this to sound critical, but I often think that clients struggle to believe the ROI calculators. Do you remember when we worked at Emis? Yeah, it was just it was just too good. So one, so when we worked at Emis, we had a product that basically in those days that it was a big thing for lawyers was it would file emails as they came in and save time. And literally, if you went through the ROI argument, it was saving every every per fee owner. It was saving about one hundred and fifty pounds of time a day. It was ridiculous it, how good it was. But it was actually saving one hundred and fifty pounds worth of time a day. But we had to tone it down because people didn't believe it, did they? Yeah. People would look at you like, what? You're going to save me £1,000 of, of billable time a week, £50,000 I mean, I have this conversation with our clients, which is, ah, right, so you're going to have a race to the bottom in terms of fees. You're the, then going to go out and hire somebody. What's the cost of a bad hire? And they'll go, yeah, with 10 grand recruitment fee. So no, it's, no, it's not. It's a million pounds. Yes. And they don't believe me. And I believe I agree with this guy. Yeah, of course you do. Um, Absolutely, buyers do not act without a compelling reason to do so. He says here, um, and he said, in working with sellers around the world, we've learned that many of them do not subscribe to or engage in the value driver persona. Interesting. We believe it's because they lack the situational and capability knowledge needed to engage in the activity. There is something in that. But again, Mike, I think a clever salesman would walk into a job and say, mm, I'm not from this market before. I'm going to look at it with fresh eyes. Right, okay. Hmm. I need to put an ROI case together. Mm, I agree. And would create the situational fluency. Yes. Yes, but you get a lot in healthcare. You know, they try and hire people from a clinical background. Because they're, quote unquote, situationally fluent and therefore capable of being value drivers. But actually, they might be incredibly situational. I've got one at the moment, a client that's coming back to me, we're going to start a recruitment campaign. And he's telling me, I need people who have, his big new thing is, I want people who have been ex-nurses and ex-doctors. You see, I think that's a bad idea. I'm not oh, saying that because yeah. I want to send some of my own salespeople there. And it's lit, you know, I'm going to take the fee off the guy. But if he listened to your advice, that's not what he would hire. Well, you know, if he asked me, what but should I do now? He knows his environment better than you do, so he, you know, he's got to make his decision. Yes, he does. Um, but getting back to, you, you know, this 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 chapter, this persona of value driving, how much is that nurse going to be able to talk about delivering value? Is it because he has been a nurse in an A and E department, so he understands where the bottlenecks are, and therefore he can turn around to drive value and drive efficiency? Well, if, if that's, that's why the that case, person hires then he's him, a brilliant. bloody good hire. But that's not what's going to happen, though, is it? No, he's just going to sit there and have a But then we're going nice back to your Maersk example on 112. And actually, as much as I'm not the Maersk example, I thought this is brilliant. For example, Maersk Line cited at the beginning of this chapter enabled its sellers to collaborate with buyers with a customised online valuation estimation tool. Using this application, sellers enter information about their buyer's shipping routes and frequencies and quickly develop quantified estimates of value for improving inventory costs etc etc so basically you put all your information in there and it works it out for you and then you end up buying it that's really smart i think yeah tesla did one did they with uh your petrol versus tesla and now and you, you, know, you know i'm probably tesla though it's you've got to change your route to charge the bugger up 
<laughs> you have them, haven't you? That's a separate conversation. But the if you go on the Tesla website and they do it to reinforce your purchase. So if you use the Tesla um, route planner for a long run, it'll go, duh, 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 there's your route, stop there to supercharge, stop there to supercharge, blah, 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 blah. Saving of £40. And you're like, yes, I'm going to drive for an extra hour. It's going to take me an extra hour and a half to get to my destination. But hey, I've saved my 40 quid, even though my time's worth £120 an hour. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it's smart though. Yeah, it and is. that's it's what he's real, talking about. He's saying that the salespeople should be doing that. Absolutely, I think they've also got to be very careful about differentiation, though. Which, in fairness, he does mention on page one hundred and fourteen. Yeah, and then you've got this example of a collaboration plan. I really love this. I'm really into the collaboration plan. Yes, I thought it was a real uh, hark back to solution selling, actually. Well, he's sort of taken the whole thing from solution selling and, and he's, he's updated taken, it. He's put updated it in there. that. <clears throat> I do like this. I do like this, but. You're using that table and bombarding him with them and bombarding the prospect with information. Well, no, because we're at a point when we've got the collaboration plan out, we're at a point where we're engaged, aren't we? Not I mean, early I'm on, engaged... phone interview with John Watkins, CIO. Yeah, my point is, I do agree with this, by the way. I think this is a really, really. So basically, for the listeners, there's a table with agreed actions that you collaborate on and you send to your client and you go yeah. through each of the. It's like a, if you think about it like a project plan, except the project is, in this instance, the evaluation and hopefully potential procurement of your solution. Uh, and, the, and the prospect is a chance to opt out at any time. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But it, it's a fabulous, and he does point out later on in the chapter, it's a great, com, it's a great qualifier, if nothing else. Yes, I do agree. It's it, it just it's a great thing, the, the whole collaboration. I just plan. think it'd be very dangerous that. I can't see any salespeople actually doing that. Really? I can't see any salespeople doing that. Why? Because uh, I think that you've got to deviate from a time and tested routine. But that's that is standard solution selling. I know. I've put it's, it as an example. I, 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 I wonder how many people actually. Well, I wonder how many whole, people actually do do that. Actually, do a, an evaluation project plan or a collaboration. I don't think plan. many. And he talks a bit about sort of online collaboration portals. I mean, that's a bit dated, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I mean, the reality In this day of the, Slack, Asana. The, the, the reality is people aren't just going to do that, are they? I tried it. We tried it. I've got to say that actually I've got a client at the minute, a US company that sell um, software. They've got an ATS, which I hate uh, applicant tracking systems, as you know. Theirs is absolutely superb. And right. they properly use it. I have to put a note in this. They properly use it like this. What, and they collaborate with their collaborate suppliers? With me. Collaborate with me. Right. Really, 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 really well. And when Derek first started using it, I thought this isn't going to work. It works great. Fair play. Like really well. Fair play. And in fairness, they've driven it, not me. You know, it's their idea, not mine. Right. And then collaborating to close, so you can use the collaboration plan to get you towards a. We're having a, a, a Lauren's just trashing the office in the background. I know it's just a set of keys. All right. It just sounds loud because there's the microphones on the desk. Yeah. So uh, and then it, again, it comes back to value driver competency, situational. Capability, value identification and articulation, financial acumen, very good. So what you were actually building, you know, if you, Christ, if you were a, if you were a, a naive recruiter and you, this would be a good book in different ways. I think if you're a sales leader and you're thinking about a paradigm for interviewing, it's not bad. Very good, yeah. It's not bad. 
and so long as get, you understand your own environment, you have to have own your yeah, own situational fluency of your own environment. Absolutely. But, so that's us. I but think let's we, get right. Four, five, and six cover the different types of buyers. I don't normally talk about this. I'm normally sort of rattling through the book a little bit. You can tell I liked it. I yeah. Think, well, I, I think the second section in, it's an absolutely excellent book i think that. yeah and then next week uh, even more exciting is making the collaborative sale a reality so i think we're going to get into some much more practical stuff here next week i hope so but i think it's, it's and then we'll have the final so is that a, is that our final chunk next week lauren i think it is isn't it so next week's the final episode with me and mike then the week after timothy t sullivan himself the big dog the big dog is coming on the show well, he's a proper get right. He's a properly top guy. Yeah. I was explaining to my uh, wife, daughters, that we've got. You know, arguably, he's a he's a he's our big he's a grade A celebrity. I don't want to I don't want to insult some of the people we've had on, uh, particularly Peter Drucker. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 no, seriously. You know, we've had Keith Rosenfield, Anthony Anarino, we've had Bob on the show, we've had James Muir on the show. But the, if you look at the world of sales books solution selling is a bigger book than uh, oh, any we've covered and keith eads and timothy sullivan you know they're, Th- they're this the guy is prime time tv he would be he would be on i'm a sales I'm, I'm a sales author can you get me out of if here if graham norton interviewed sales book he'd be on it yeah absolutely authors and lo behold, do you reckon these boys would be on the graham norton show lo and behold his book's good yeah or what's the other fella, James Corden? Do you reckon he'd be on Carpool Karaoke? I think he'd be on The Jungle One. Right, yeah, we're wittering now, Lauren. Just roll the titles. See you next week. And that's that singing over this bit. Bow, 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 bow.